This is the Australian Hunting Podcast, hunting, shooting and fishing radio on the AHP Digital Radio Network. Visit us at australianhuntingpodcast.com.au. Sit back, relax and enjoy. Here's the host of the show, Jason Selms. Welcome back to the Australian Hunting Podcast, episode 110. Thank you very much for joining me. I do appreciate it. Today I'm talking with a senior lecturer from the University of South Australia. His name is Dr. Keston Green. And uh, you might ask how I actually got uh, to talking with Dr. Keston Green and emailing him and getting him on the show. Well, there was a radio show on ABC RN. Uh, it had Samantha Lee from Coalition for Gun Control Australia. Uh, it also had Dr. Keston Green and had another person. They were basically debating firearms, and Dr. Keston Green was talking uh, a lot about the effects of the regulations and what the what the science and what the data actually tells us uh, based on those regulations from 1996 and the legislative changes regarding firearms. And uh, it was very, very interesting hearing Dr. Keston Green talk about this stuff. So I flicked him over an email and he got back to me and said he really wanted to come on the show, which I thought was absolutely fantastic. Uh, Drafted up some questions and that is the uh, show you're going to hear today. So I think it's great, uh, exciting, and we talk about a lot of different things. We talk about America, we talk about gun-free zones, we talk about Australia, we talk about 1996, we talk about suicides, uh, and what the data is actually telling us. doesn't matter what I think, doesn't matter what anyone thinks, pro-gun, uh, or anti-gun, it's what I guess is what the science tells us, and uh, it's some very, very interesting content from Dr. Keston Green uh, on the legislative changes of 1996, what the data tells us, and uh, what we can, I guess, how it, that's affected us over the last 20 years. Uh, so very, very good podcast. Uh, of course, you can check us out on Facebook, download our show from iTunes. Uh, or if you want to email me, AustralianHuntingPodcast at gmail.com, uh, or you can click on the contact icon on the website at australianhuntingpodcast.com.au. Uh, so I hope you enjoy this show, guys. I, th- I think it was really, really sort of eye-opening for me, and we had some just different discussions as well uh, towards the end of the show with some different questions. And uh, all I can say is that I really hope you enjoy it. And you're actually hearing from someone who has researched the data, has knowledge on the data, and uh, what that data actually means and what it means uh, over the last 20 years. So I guess without further ado, uh, my name's Jason Selms, and let's get into my interview with Dr. Keston Green. This is Rod Drew, CEO of Field and Game Australia. This is Rob Fickling from Beyond the Divide and Maroka 30. Hi, this is Col Allison, hunter, journalist for 42 years and a shooter. Hi, this is Russell Mark, Olympic gold medalist. This is Charlie Jacoby from Field Sports Britain. Hey everybody, it's Tom Knapp and you're listening to the Australian Hunting Podcast. Dr. Keston Green, welcome to the Australian Hunting Podcast. Thanks for joining me today. I've been looking forward to speaking to you for quite a while on uh, some of the regulations surrounding uh, our current gun laws, not only here in Australia, but across the world. Thanks for joining me. Hi, Jason. Look, thank you very much for inviting me onto the show. No worries. I know I, uh, we might play that during the show, uh, before the show actually, but um, you were on ABC, a, a radio show. But before we get into that, um, tell us about yourself, a bit of history about uh, Dr. Keston Green. Who are you for people who might not know who you are? Well, before we before we get too far into the show, Jason, I'll, I'll uh, you know, fess up and uh, and admit that I'm uh, a Kiwi of origin. Yep. 
I'm, I'm, I'm an Aussie. I'm an Aussie now. And uh, you know, there's been quite a bit of, uh, of, of family movement between New Zealand and, and Australia over the over the years. And uh, yep. between my, myself and my wife, we've got uh, family in, in, in Sydney and Melbourne and, and, and Perth and elsewhere. And uh, you know, probably probably more uh, relatives from earlier generations further back. Um, and anything about yourself, say history and, and researching and stuff like that, which we're going to be talking about today. Well, you know, I can talk about a bit about you know re, re, research, but you know, to give a bit of background that you know, is perhaps more interesting to your yep. to your you know, listeners, I suppose. My, you know, I've been a you um, know outdoorsman in, in, in my time, uh, you know, hiking up in the, in the hills and mountains of, of, of New Zealand as a as a young man, uh, you know, we called called it tramping over there. The, you know, before me, my, my my grandfather, you know, way back in the in the day, my dad's father was um, a pioneer bushwalker and a, a rugby union star. Right, right. And, uh, you know, we don't have, don't have much of that down down here in SA, but um, you know, perhaps some of your your listeners up in, uh, in New South Wales and, and elsewhere will uh, you know, appreciate that he, he was. Um, uh, selected for the All Blacks and uh, the tour of Australia in 1910 and, and in 1914, uh, but um, you know, unfortunately, or fortunately, maybe I wouldn't be here, here now if, if he if he had toured. But, but you know, my um, the the official story is that he um, um, he had work commitments and, and and so didn't tour. But my grandmother told me in her 90s that she she should have let him go. So I think. I think my grandmother had something to do with that. Yep, yep. Yeah. <laughs> How did you end up in um, South Australia? Just is that the first place you went when you came over South Australia? Yes, it is. Well, I I got a an invitation to apply for a position at the university I'm I'm at now, and um, I was ready for a change. I've, I've spent most of my life in in uh, in, in business, and and uh, but I'm in becoming increasingly interested in, in my research work and it, it seemed like a great opportunity and I, I um, couldn't resist the, uh, the, you know, the temptation to fly over to Adelaide and um, uh, check out, check it out and uh, I just loved it here. How long, how long have you been here since? How long have you been in Australia now? Oh, I've, I've been here half a dozen or so years now. Okay, yeah. yeah. No, it's certainly a good place. I know I've got a lot of friends in New Zealand. They certainly have a uh, you know rich culture of you know outdoor activities and hunting and shooting and fishing and yeah, they certainly uh, have it very very good over in New Zealand. Certainly a great place to visit. Now a lot of my friends that have been there and really rave about New Zealand. Well, you look. I, I spent a lot of time in in, in the bush as a you know young guy. Um, you know, hiking rather than than, than, than shooting, although the People, um, you know, my father and his his you know, generation, his his brother and so on, used to go uh, you know, shooting deer and uh, and pigs and and, and so on. And my, yeah. my one of my uncles kept the family fed on um, on on venison during the depression, hopping on his bike and biking off into the hills around the suburb they lived in and bringing back <laughs> right. the deer to feed the family. <laughs> nice. Um, how did you do? You like research work? I mean, it's quite kind of an interesting topic. I mean, getting especially in, you know getting into you know researching the regulations of you know firearms and laws and stuff like that. How did you sort of you know get into that that type of research area? 
Well, yeah, Jason, just to put you straight on that, I mean, yep. firearms research isn't a particular area of mine. It yep. sort of falls under my my broad uh, interest in uh, you know research on on the effect of regulations and uh, you know more broadly forecasting the effects of, of, of regulations um, and, and so on. So. I'm a I'm a you know social scientist. I'm an, an, an applied economist um, you know, with a particular interest in, in, in forecasting and in, in public policy and and regulation. And uh, you know, became re- relatively recently involved in the firearms you know, regulations. Um, you know, as, as you're aware through the ABC show that I that I recorded, I've certainly been aware of, of the research that's been done in the area and in, in, in the US for uh, for a long time. I you know, participated with uh, with John Lott uh, in the, in the US at the Crime Prevention Research Centre and, and writing some um, opinion uh, pieces, well, some editorial pieces for the uh, for the Advertiser, you know, in response to. Um, the um, the Lund Cafe shooting, in, in, in particular, uh, because of course there was a lot of excitement about um, you know, gun regulations at the time. I suppose I first worked in in the area of regulation and um, you know, firearms in a rather you know, roundabout um, a roundabout way, if you like. So you know, here's here's a here's a story from. From research that you might be interested in, it's a it's a U.S. story, and this this one dates back from from 2007. And uh, you know, with two two colleagues and I, um, or, or two yeah, two colleagues and I um, had been asked to uh, review some forecasts of a dramatic decline in polar bear numbers uh, for the Alaskan government. And the Alaskan government were aware, aware that I'd been uh, doing work on, on forecasting climate, and my U.S. colleague is a, a you know, world-renowned expert in the, in the area of forecasting, and they wanted us to review these these forecasts uh, on polar bear numbers because um, the, the polar bear scientists were, uh, for another government department. Um, Providing these these forecasts in order to get the polar bears listed as a threatened species under the Endangered Species Act. So you know, but quite a big quite a big deal because there were all all kinds of flow on you know effects from from that. You know, the implications were that if uh, if the polar bear the polar bears are endangered because of uh, of sea ice uh, you know declines and um, uh, you know, we've got to take drastic government action to respond to it. So, you know, we looked at their at their at their forecasting uh, procedures, and we found that they'd worked on the assumption um, that they just sort of accepted the um, international governmental panel on climate change's projections of of, of dangerous man-made global warming, and um, that there would be a, a, a decline in the Arctic sea ice. As a result of that, and then, and then, you know, with a lot of elaborate maths and so on, they said, oh well, that means that the polar bear numbers are going to 
um, you know, disappear pretty quickly. So, you know, we looked at their, their, their methods and, and, you know, we'd, we'd, already, we'd already determined that the, the, the dangerous warming forecasts weren't valid. I mean, they weren't based on good science. But even if you, even if you, if you put that aside and looked at the procedures that the polar bear biologists used for predicting the population change of, of bears, we found that they didn't follow as many as 85% of of evidence-based forecasting principles. So you know, you know, when you when you think about it, I mean, if you if you if you if you if you get on a commercial airliner, you know, you want to know that the the pilot has checked off every item on the checklist, right? <laughs> yeah, you would well, absolutely. You, you would, wouldn't you? I mean, before the plane plane takes off, well, well, well these guys, um, you know, didn't check off eighty five percent of what we know about forecasting. Did that they so, didn't, or they just didn't want to? Because that's an interesting question you bring up <laughs> well, when you when you're doing these type of, uh, you know, I guess evidence based forecasting. I mean, does I mean. I'm not saying ask you directly, but do people ever try and put you in a position that, well, this is the framing we're going for. You need to try and you know, put your you know, forecasting into this framing, or is it truly you know independent? Depends on who. I mean, obviously, I'd say it would depend on ever who you're working for at this particular stage or who you're forecasting for. But do you ever feel that that pressure? Well, you know, we we don't accept commissions like that. That's that's the easy answer. I mean, if the, if there's a particular slant. You know, on it, then you know we're 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 not interested because, or you know, we certainly make it very clear that our our uh, you know assessment will be, uh, you know, independent and um, that that we expect uh, you know to be able to present our our findings whether the the uh, you know the client in this case uh, agreed with it or or not, and and you know the Alaskan government gave no indication of. Um, of a particular result they want, which was actually quite the opposite of, of, of um, you know, what the polar bear scientists were given. I mean, the the, um, the brief that they had and the way they presented it made it very clear that they were there in order to support the polar bear listing. Yeah, you know, and, and uh, you know, they did uh, the, with all this elaborate maths. They did it on on the basis of as few as as five years of um, estimates of polar bear population and they ignored the most recent year of data which actually went against their hypothesis that, that less ice meant less bears uh, which was you know, rather interesting and when we asked for the details of the da- their data they said um, we're using it. <laughs> so um I don't you know, envy so, your job sometimes I don't envy your job you know <laughs> Well boy it, it's it's, it's, it's interesting. interesting and it's yeah, it's, it's reward it's rewarding to to take on uh, forecasts that are that are casually bandied around um with with the expectation that people should just accept them that politicians and the public should just accept them on face value and actually give them some good scientific scrutiny. So, um, you know, when, when we looked at the uh, uh, the evidence, uh, it was pretty clear that the population of polar bears has been broadly increasing since the hunting of the bears was cut back. You know, so there was sort of more, um, you know, rigor around, uh, you know, who could go go hunting when, yeah. and the population. 
you know, started growing from at least about the 40s or so. And the data's pretty patchy, but it seems pretty clear it's been growing. Mm. And um, you so, know, what, so we, what, we, what was the what was the, the was the result um, to their liking when you finally gave them the findings? Or well, yeah, we, we never heard whether they whether the Alaskan government li- liked it or not. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, we, we, you know, we, we we presented them with the with the report where we um, you know one of my colleagues who was involved in it got to testify at the uh, at the Senate's uh, hearing. Um, on the on the polar bear listing decision, and the uh, you know the end head of the um, of that particular committee was was extremely hostile and and, and disrespectful. So he, he didn't get a, a very fair hearing. But I think you know anyone who watched the video or listened to it would have thought you know wow um, why why is she trying so hard to um, to, to to shut him up. Just goes to show but, when you've um, got a pre-agenda. Sometimes, not saying they did have one, but you know, when you start to look, if they're going totally against the data, well, you know, you have to ask the question why. I guess very interesting. I said, I said, don't envy that job. I mean, it sounds like fun to, you know, look back at you know history and find out what's happening with certain things. And I can imagine it's probably quite rewarding. Um, interesting stuff. I mean, obviously, this goes into, I guess, some of our questions. Uh, Keston, in regards to firearms, some very interesting topics I think we're going to talk about today. Um, I'd like to talk about, if you don't mind, um, using the stats or what information you might have. Um, does, you know, firearms actions, so what I mean by that is, you know, semi-automatic uh, pump-action shotguns, those types of things, semi-automatic rifles, etc. Uh, do they have any effect uh, on mass shootings, whether you know whether they're committed or not, and if there's any data to back that up at all? The type of actions, look, you know, we we you know we know really uh, that bans and restrictions don't keep the firearms of, of, of whatever kind it is out of the hands of, of criminals and and, and and would be mass murderers. Um, you know we've had we've had bans on 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 drugs and all, all kinds of things, and the Americans had their prohibitions on alcohol and and so on. But um, you know, of course, you know that didn't stop people getting hold of them. So uh, you know, the major effect is just as with with all other kinds of of regulations, the the, the major effect is that ordinary law-abiding people are restricted in their activity uh, you know after all you know they're the ones who, who, who follow the laws obey the laws you know no matter what they are um, whereas the, the, the criminals aren't really interested in that so you know we hear all this all the time and I've, I've, I've heard it many times in personal situations the the no one needs you know no one needs this particular kind of action or no one you know no, no one needs a firearm that can Fire, um, you know, has a magazine this size, or or or, or can, has a semi-automatic action, and so on. And um, you know, it's 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 just not logical. I mean, it's, it's never, and it's certainly not a good basis for public policy. It's, it's never hard to find groups of people that think that other people should be you know, forced to conform um, to their to their opinion of how uh, you know the people should should live their lives. You know, it's, it's a think of examples, and no, no, no one needs a, a car with an engine of more than one and a half liters. 
<laughs> that'd just be wasted. It'd just be wasteful, wouldn't it? I mean, you know, gosh, you know, using up all these resources and you know, too too powerful and dangerous on the road. Yeah. Well, well, how about you know, no one no one needs a car. Well, you know, I guess there are some cyclists and uh, cycling enthusiasts out there who think oh, cars the the the, the um, uh, transport method of the devil. Get get them off off the road. You know, you can use public transport. Because mm. um, with cars, Keston, they say, you know, like, I, have the, I hear this all the time, you know, that we have several thousand, you know, car deaths per year. And, you know, I have a friend that actually says to me, well, you know, if if it just saves one life, isn't it worth it? And I said, but, yeah, but where do you draw the line? Where do you draw the line? Um, why is there also such a stigma towards, say, firearms and, you know, the government officials often wanting to take them away compared to, say, cars, which, yes, obviously we do drive them around, but... You know, why do we have gun deaths? It's a major, you know, problem for the government, or they perceive to be a major problem of public safety. Yet, you know, on the other hand, we have 2,000, you know, people, roughly 2,000 people dying every year, give or take, depending on the year. And that seems to be an acceptable number. I mean, if you work that out on the amount of Port Arthurs that would be per year, um, <laughs> that'd be quite a lot of Port Arthurs in one year if you actually work out how many people died and how many people in Port Arthur. So why, why, yeah. why are firearms any different? Why are we treating firearms differently? Well, good, good question, Jason. Um, <laughs> I didn't mean to stump you on that one. Sorry, I didn't mean. To. <laughs> well, you know, look, there, there, there are all kinds of answers to, to that, aren't there? In, in, in economics, we talk about the risk offset hypothesis. So, when you're talking about you know deaths by um, you know, from driving motor vehicles, risks are everywhere. You know, and we accept risks all all, all, all the time. You know, we we dash across the road. Um, you know, we go around the you know, blind corner. Who knows what's going to be around it? Um, you know, we, we, we're, we're taking risks. We accept we accept risks. And um, yeah, the, 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 so in, in economics, the, the risk offset hypothesis says, well, you know, pe- people have a certain you know, preference for a certain you know, risk level, and if you apply that to to, to, to driving, um, you, you know, you drive in, in a way that you're unlikely to die, but um, you, you could decrease your chance of driving if you drew, um, drove more slowly and you know had more safety features in your car. Mm. But what happens is that when, but you, you know you don't. But and so when there are more safety features put on cars or there are you know median barriers put down the middle of a road or so, uh, what happens is that people you know drive faster and take more risks and you know take advantage of the uh, of, of, of the risk. Um, uh, you know, avoiding features to push their, they keep their risk at the same level, but get there faster. Mm, mm, um, mm. So, so you, you don't actually end up with uh, with, with fewer deaths. Is the the interesting thing. So, mm. you know, there are risks with with with, with firearms. Um, you know, in the scheme of things, as, as as you say, there are certainly fewer people affected by them than are affected by um, car accidents. But another another um, reason is because of the uh, the treatment in the in the media, and you know, the media are generally very unsympathetic. But also, perhaps I think more um, because it's more more dramatic to talk mm. about. You know, guns and and you know accidents or you know violence with guns than it is to talk about a, a car crash. 
Drop everything. The Double S Double A Shot Expo is coming, showcasing the shooting industry's commitment to ethical hunting and conservation. With safety seminars, workshops, and gun dog demonstrations, an indoor shooting range, activities for children, prizes for the whole family, the Double S Double A Shot Expo just keeps getting bigger. Rose Hill Racecourse, Sydney, June 25th and 26th. Supported by Swarovski, Winchester, and ATN Night Vision. Book online or pay on the day. Visit shotexpo.com.au. G'day, Turbo here from the Noob Spiro podcast where we talk all things spearfishing. So if you love your hunting and you love your fishing, you're going to love spearfishing as well. So check us out at the Noob Spiro podcast or visit us online at noobspiro.com. One of the awesome experiences that you can have when you are in the water and that's why I started spearfishing. Don't overcomplicate your gear. Don't go dotting dressed up like a Christmas tree. <laughs> it's a whole new world and it's mysterious, it's magical. Beats the shit out of knitting anyway. Oh yeah. I wanted to talk about, um, obviously we had, you'd be aware of it, being a researcher, uh, the laws changed, oh, well, be 20 years ago, I think, this year, uh, 1996. Have the, you know, Howard laws made, you know, a contribution at all into reducing gun deaths, not only from Australia, well, from Australian point of view, I should say, considering, you know, New Zealand, Canada, which we spoke about before, Switzerland, they don't have these type of restrictions, so has... John Howard's gun reforms reduced gun deaths in this country. Um, have they reduced gun, gun deaths? De- gun deaths in yeah. Australia. Because I know, I mean, obviously suicide, I know, I mean, if we talk, especially in regards to the US too, uh, yeah, a, lot of the, a lot of those are a suicide. You know, if we took that out, I guess that's, that paints a different picture. But, I mean, we had, you know, uh, people committing suicide, which as far as I'm aware has dropped since 1996. Um but yeah, I mean, have, have we reduced? Sorry, you go on. You're probably better off answering the question. You know, it's, it's it's kind of a loaded question, isn't it? Because because it assumes that regulating and confiscating guns, you know, might reduce gun deaths. But so it, it rules out the idea that laws restricting gun ownership, gun ownership, might actually increase gun deaths. Okay, and this is, and uh, you know, this it turns out this is more in accord with the re- research. But if, if you believe that gun control is a good idea, you can find comparison countries with with gun death statistics that seem to support your belief. And and you know, we do hear a lot of uh, those kinds of comparisons in, in the media. But if you believe that gun control makes law-abiding people more vulnerable to violence from criminals and terrorists. You can find comparison countries that support that belief as well. So there are, are problems with comparing between countries because the, the, there's just so many factors that, uh, you know, that differ that, that might influence gun deaths. So it's, it's fairly speculative to try to untangle the influence of, of just one factor, gun laws, when, when you're comparing statistics from countries that can be really quite different so and, and also you've got to worry about you know to what extent are the, are the laws change behavior or are the laws a reaction to behavior so you know, cause and effect are problems there i mean getting down and, on, a, on a basic level though since you know, 1996 have you know from from the data or from the information you might have researched has there been a noticeable difference i mean we took away what was it 650 or 750,000, you know, firearms off the law abiding? I mean, you know, at a cost of, you know, five, six hundred million dollars, I think it was, whatever it may have been. And, um, you know, has, has, has there been, since doing that, has there been this, this wow factor of, of 
things that have happened that have really made people walk down our streets and be any safer than they would have been if we hadn't have taken those, um, or John Howard hadn't have taken that position in 1996? As far as the, so as far as the stats go, it's, it's, a, it's a complex business to compare stats between, between countries and, and you can make arguments going either way as I've, I've suggested. So, you know, that's why the US data are, are so useful because uh, there, are, there are fewer factors varying between the US counties and, and, and the states and there are so many jurisdictions and, and changes in the regulations, the firearms regulations over, over the years. You, you can make you know, valid comparisons of the effects of, of different firearms regulations. So you know, it may be possible to do similar comparisons using data from, from say, German states or Swiss cantons. I, I don't know. I haven't, I haven't looked at that. Um, so, you know, bearing in mind all those, those sort of reservations about the data and, 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 and recognising that, the, the, you know, the US data are so useful because it does isolate the effect of the regulation from everything else. I, you know, c- comparing with New Zealand is, you know, is more reasonable because um, Australia and New Zealand have got similar histories and, and culture. We're, we're physic- both physically isolated island nations in the, in the same part of the world. And uh, a lot of people don't know that the, the Commonwealth of Australia Constitution Act of 1900 uh, lists New Zealand as one of the colonies that, that could be included in the Commonwealth. So we're pretty close. Uh, and as you know, New Zealand doesn't have the same restrictions on semi-automatic rifles and, and pump-action shotguns yeah. as we do in, in Australia. And they don't have the same requirement to register individual firearms. So, so what do the this, 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 this statistics show? The, the, they show that New Zealand has a remarkably similar firearm suicide rate to ours, and the trend in both countries has been down, you know, both before and after the law changes here. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and, and the picture is similar uh, you know, with respect to firearm homicides as a percentage of all homicides, the trend in in both countries broadly down, rates have been similar both before and after law changes here. So in other words, there's no evidence that the onerous restrictions that we've had imposed on gun ownership in Australia and the the mass confiscation of the gun uh, lead to any lower firearms homicides rate than, than in New Zealand, relatively relaxed regulation. Uh, so a you know, big pain for um, law-abiding Aussie gun owners and with no evidence of any gain. I know the, the regu- there was uh, the homicide rate or the firearm was dropping before 1996. That, that's steadily continued that trend downwards? The homicide rate? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well, you know, as so steadily as, as these things um, can do. I mean, as the, a... The, 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 the numbers are very small, aren't they? But, you know, the trend, the trend has continued down, yeah. I was just going to say then, well, I mean, I don't want to talk about hypotheticals because I, I know you're a researcher and I'm not sure if this is, you know, you're sort of interested in answering this question. But, you know, I'm wondering why, like, before 1996, obviously we had several shootings. I mean, New Zealand hasn't had one since. Is there any, I mean, does, is there any data to show any reason why 
Um, we think we have not had those types of mass shootings since. Is it, is it educational, do you think? I mean, I know this is probably a hypothetical question and more of a, a personal thing, but do you think there's any reason why we haven't had one? I mean, I don't think it's the laws, any reason why someone hasn't been able to get access to a, you know, to a certain firearm, uh, thinking that they can't get access to a certain action of firearms, so therefore we've prevented mass shootings. I mean, I think that's pretty absurd. So do you have any ideas, do you think, or any, any you'd like to share that reason why we haven't had any? Well, you know, it's, it's not that we had a, a lot of mass shootings before, is it? I mean, there's something that happens very infrequently. So, um, you know, luck might have something to do with it, might not. I mean, you, you, couldn't, you certainly couldn't... Um, you know, rule out luck or, or random variation. All right, good. Uh, going on to number three, we've got um, why people, uh, why do you think a lot of people have the wrong impression about, you know, firearms in general? I mean, you know, there's been a, a I guess, a, a push, especially since the US presidential race, especially uh, Keston right now. You know, the Second Amendment is a hot topic. You know, we've got, you know, the Democrats trying to take away people's firearms, Hillary Clinton, etc., saying she'd remove these firearms. Um, yeah, in Australia, I think we have a very, you know, somewhat the people that count, I guess, have a good, you know, opinion of firearms. Obviously, some of our government officials don't. Um, you know, our media is always trying to attack yeah, America on their, you know, their constitution and, and their you know, Second Amendment to own firearms. So why do you think people have the wrong impression about guns? Oh, well, you, you'll, you'll notice I'm talking about the American situation that um, the... Um you know the Democrat contender who's who's in, in front of the moment after New Hampshire, Bernie Sanders. Bernie um, Sanders, yeah, yeah, who uh, is not wanting to take uh, you know guns away from people. I mean, he comes from a, a state from Vermont that um, uh, you know where where uh, you know gun ownership is is very much valued, and so he's not about to um, try to undermine that. But you know, look, look most. Yeah, you know, people you know here in Australia aren't around guns uh, you know much you know these days and people you know, you know live in live in cities uh, to a great extent and they get their information on guns from the media and so you know a lot a lot of gun owners must be listening to the reporting on the uh, on the opinions on TV and radio and newspapers and think well you know that doesn't really sound like sound right doesn't sound like you know, me and and the people I know who are who are gun owners, but um, you know, for the other people who who aren't gun owners, uh, it's the only information that they they've got on on guns and, and crime. You know that plus uh, you know violent movies and cops and robbers shows, I suppose. So, um, uh, is is the is the media biased? Well. Uh, you know John Lott, who we've, we've mentioned before, who's, who's done done all this research in the U.S. on the effect of regulations, has also uh, you know, analysed the media coverage in the U.S. on on firearms, and he, he wrote a book um, on, on what he found called the bias against guns. And and the subtitle runs: uh, Why almost everything you've heard about gun control is wrong. And so that gives the the general idea of, of what he found when he did the you know, the research and what the media were were telling us, you know, telling the you know the public. So it's um, it, it you know in the book he reports how how negative stories about guns are highlighted in the media, you know, relative to attacks using other weapons. You know, if, if attacks using other weapons get if they get covered at all, get covered on. You know, page 23 or something. Whereas the, the you know the gun attack that uh, 
uh, that they killed a, a similar or even smaller number of people or, or none at all is on the front page. And they don't um, they don't report self defence uses of, um, of of guns in, in, in the media. You know how violence was was averted or stopped by by gun owners. And for example, one of the examples that he um, he gave was on one of the university campuses, and and you know university campuses. I mean that, that's um, talk about gun bans. You know, there's a, a, they're small experiments, right? You know, university campuses in, in, in the U.S. are uh, you know banned by federal law from, from in effect from um, uh, you know having people with firearms on them. So, you know, of course the you know the bad guys um, think that doesn't apply to apply to them. And so when there was a shooting, when there was a shooting started on one of these campuses. Um, two of the, the the students had, as good law-abiding citizens, you know, left their licensed firearms and their vehicles parked off campus, and they ran to their to their vehicles, uh, you know, independently, you know, got their got their guns and ran back onto campus, and managed to hold this guy up by pointing their gun guns at him, the the the, the you know the criminal, the the shooter, and and, and you know, saved presumably a lot of lives. As a result of that, now, you know, how was that reported in the in, in the papers? That was reported as a as a as a story of you know, two heroes, which they were, who tackled a, um, a a shooter on campus, right? So there was no mention that it was that shooting was brought to a stop by uh, you know these two guys who were law-abiding gun owners who'd had to run off campus to get their weapons so you know I suppose you know I, sh- I shouldn't have been um, I shouldn't have been surprised I mean I uh, you know like like everyone like most other people I, I was dependent on the on the, the news for um, you know what I thought about guns and how dangerous they were and all the rest of it but um, yeah I, I shouldn't have been that surprised really that restricting people's Freedom to own and use guns is a bad thing. You know, most of us don't tend to think much about regulations that don't affect us you know, directly. And uh, you know, we're even a bit inclined to think, well, other people need regulating. You know, all those other people out there—they're not necessarily going to behave the way I think they should, unless there's a unless the government regulates them. But the the conclusion that that you know, regulating gun ownership. And, and use actually harms the the general welfare. Actually, makes people worse off. Is it? It's, it's consistent with the uh, the evidence from my own and other uh, researchers' uh, work on the effects of, of regulations of all, of all different kinds. You know, so it's not like gun regulations are you know, a special a special case. Re- regulations do you know, tend to you know, harm harm people rather than benefit them. Very interesting. I'm going to but go on. Counterintuitive, but, but challenging. Dr. Green, have you had any uh, experience uh, of the firearms leg regulations that came in under uh, the Howard government? Oh, well, I've, I've had I've had some. Um, you know, my um, my boy in his in his mid-teens, you know, had these impulses as boyish boys do, and said, "Well, you know, he must have been something he's reading." And said, "You know, why don't we get an air rifle so we can go." Um, shooting rabbits, so I ignored them. You know, they, they, these 
kids they come up with all kinds of enthusiastic ideas from time to time but if you ignore them they tend to go away but, but you know you keep carried on at me and um, you know my wife's always trying to uh, uh, you know encourage me to to do do things with them so I <laughs> I thought oh, well, I'll, I'll pop into the local gun shop and I'll, and I'll uh, I asked if I could have a look at the at the air rifles there and and the salesman asked me to see my firearms license. Um, that's not what I was expecting. I, I, I said, "Well, look, I'm, I'm just wanting to have a look at an air rifle for my my son." And uh, he, he explained politely, of course, that I couldn't handle any kind of firearm in the in the shop, or and certainly not buy an air rifle uh, without a firearms license. And and uh, and he explained what was involved in obtaining a license and how long it'd be before I could take a rifle home and you know my son would need a license too and you know, then we'd need to apply for a permit to hunt and you know on it went so you know that was the, the end of that plan <laughs> right. so, so that was uh, it wasn't it wasn't what I was expecting you know when I was a I was a kid it was you must have been common, hanging out in uh, New Zealand too long too <laughs> yeah well you know that's where I that's where I grew that's where I grew up and you know it was like the, the same here I, I, I believe until the until the um, uh, 96 regulations but you know yeah young kids would have access to air rifles when when I was growing up and uh, um, you know young young kids I mean there's Daniel Boone shot his first bear at the age of 12 you know Annie Oakley started hunting at eight you know I can't there were air rifles around I mean they weren't a big big deal I can't remember hearing about any air rifle injuries and we didn't need to be told that we had to be careful with a a loaded gun. I can remember plenty of injuries from, you know, from other things, from falling off push bikes, and um, you know, occasionally you'd hear the, the the story about a hunting accident. But um, you know, more often that you'd hear about people being washed away and and flooded rivers and and so on. You wouldn't so, be- you um, wouldn't believe an air rifle in Australia. Uh, Keston is classified as in the same uh, category as a um, shotgun, would you? <laughs> it's unbelievable, well, really. That, you, yeah, I, you know, I, I just just did not expect that that to have anything other than than be able to walk in and 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 say, oh look, I, you know, what what what's a good air rifle for my for my for my son? Oh, here we are. That's great. You can have it for his, you know, you can have it now. I, I just didn't expect that. So. There we there we go. So it was an education for me, and you know after having gone through that that experience, but also because I had the you know by the by this time I had um, I was very aware of of John Lott's research because of the, on on gun re- the effect of gun regulations because it's in in my area of interest of regulation. So when the 2014 Senate um, Legal and Constitutional Affairs References Committee. You, uh, you held an inquiry, and uh, with a, the rather convoluted title of the Ability of Australian Law Enforcement Authorities to Eliminate Gun-Related Violence in the Community. I thought, well, this sounds like a, 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 an effort to um, you know, restrict, uh, um, you know, regulate the firearms, restrict the access to them even further. So I thought, well, you know, more more restrictions on people's recreational pursuits, um, you know, less ability for, for self-protection and so on. So I, I asked John Lott if he'd be willing to make submissions to that inquiry and uh, 
I think it's probably when we first got in, in touch. I'll perhaps have been in contact before then. But um, so he, he um, um, you know, I was able to get his submissions into that, and he made oral um, submissions to he, them. Yeah, and, he also uh, rang up too as part of the. Uh, yeah, that's yeah, right. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, made uh, yeah the audio submission as well. Yeah. 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 So that that, that that was good, and then, then so I was um, you know, interested to see that you know, when the report was finally released in 2015, it, it, it recommended that state and territory governments investigate ways to reduce the burden of, of firearms regulation. So you know, I, I would hope that you know, John's work had had some influence on that, and as a result of that, he, he, uh, that involvement, he asked me to become a senior fellow of his crime prevention research centre and you know, that's how we got involved in writing together pieces for the um, for the Adelaide Advertiser. Did we, um, going on to number eight, uh, did we have a high gun homicide rate prior to 1996 and you know obviously before the implementation of, of those new firearms regulations of 1996? Well, you know, it's, a game, it, it's, it's interesting, you know, that you're asking the question in, in, in that way because, the, you know, you're, you're asking about a high gun homicide rate, you know, with the emphasis on gun as, as if there's something specially bad about being killed by a gun rather than the, the punch to the head, one punch to the head, as we've been hearing a, a lot about over recent years, or, a, uh, you know, being hit with a, a hammer or a baseball bat or or you know, being stabbed with a knife. Um, you know, there are lots of ways that, that, that people um, you know, can and do kill each other. And so you know, the, really the relevant question for policymakers should, should, you know, they should stop obsessing on, on, on you know, the, 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 the weapon of, uh, used and, and you know, start looking at the, the total homicide rate. And you know, when you do that, it opens up the... You know, the po- the possibility that you know, firearms might actually you know, um, be, be useful as a self for self defence. Um, you know, if you ask the question about the, in, in terms of gun homicides, then then you know that closes off that whole that whole option. It's um, you know, I think we're we're a little, quite a way away from from thinking of, of firearms in that in that sense here now. I, I suspect, but it, it it's very well, you know, it does come up. Pe- pe- people raise it. I mean, uh, you know, how do you how do you defend yourself against um, someone who's who's bigger, stronger, and with 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 bad intent, no matter what they're they're armed with? And, and if you're, um, you know, if you're if you're weaker and uh, not so um, so well, well, you know, if you're weaker and uh, you know less aggressive, then. Uh, grannies, little old, old, old men, you know, young women, and you know, people who are weaker for, for whatever reason, um, the best form of self-defence they can have is, is, is a handgun, isn't it? I was wondering why the government took the the position that no to self-defence, like somehow, you know, not having any forms of. I mean, even not talking about firearms, Kirsten, I mean, talking about even just, you know, tasers or, or some type of non-lethal force, pepper spray. I always wondered why the ideal position for government officials, for us, is uh, to not have any form of self-defence. And I think, 
you know, this is what the Americans don't like either, being told by people like, you know, Barack Obama, Hillary Clinton, etc. You know, well, you don't need these types of firearms or, or our, even, you know, Malcolm Turnbull, Tony Abbott, well, you don't really need those types of firearms, yet, you know, all their staff are all armed and he has armed protection. So, you know, people don't really like that sort of thing, especially in the States. They don't like being told, well, you can't have this, but, yeah, well, we'll have, you know, 10, 15 people armed around us to keep us safe. I mean... At qu- yeah. From what I spoke to a few American people just recently, it quite upsets them. Actually, infuriates them uh, to know that well, yeah. you know, we can yeah. impose our restrictions on you, but you know, th- those restrictions won't apply to to us. They just won't stand for it. Yes, yes. I'm not. I'm not quite sure why why people don't get so uh, um, yeah. you know excited about that. Um, yeah, you, know, like, hey, you don't need a gun. You don't need a gun for self defence. They say. Well, yeah. you know, if you look at Jill Maher in, Mer- in Melbourne, who was raped and murdered yeah. by a 22 time rapist, I'm sure. You know, she would she would prefer some type of self defence. You know, whether it, even if it been you know, pepper spray, I'm sure that might have. You know, she still might be alive today. But you know, according to the government and the media, we we've got great gun laws. Yet every single day, well, I you mean, know, John John Lott's you know re- research and 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 the US you know show, shows that it, it's um, you know that criminals aren't aren't stupid either. I mean, they don't actually want to expose themselves to um, to risks. Um, that they they can avoid. So um, if they know um, in a in a, in a particular county or a you know, state or so that uh, um, you know ordinary law-abiding citizens may uh, you know be armed either at home or out on the street, then the the the, the, the you know the violent crime you know rates drop because they avoid attacking uh, you know people um, because they don't want to get shot. But you know, just talking about you know, is there a, a high gun homicide rate, or was there a high gun homicide rate prior to '96? Well, you know, I think I mentioned earlier in the comparison with New Zealand, it can be compared to what? But um, it's been pretty similar to New Zealand's uh, since at least the, the late 1980s or so. I haven't really looked back further than that. Um, and in the five years before. 1996, the, the the rate averaged about a quarter of all homicides in, in both countries. So you know the, the, there was nothing um, you know out of the ordinary about Australia's rate at, at all compared to a, a similar country that you know most of us here see as being you know, very peaceful. Just seemed like a whole lot of uh, a whole lot of waste, a whole lot of money, and a whole lot of heartache for a lot of people for you know very little, if any, gain at all. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I'm, I've, I've, there is no evidence in the data that there's been any any gain um, in in, in um, you know in safety and, and reduction of, of of deaths or reduction of, of suicides. What about um, you, know, you talk, well, mentioned that great one? Now getting on to the next one, suicides. Has the has the reduced has the, you know, these new regular or the regulations of '96 reduced you know the suicide rates in general or even gun suicides only? Because we're seeing you know these. Uh, media outlets both you know here and across the world saying well you know suicides are down or or they're giving us a gun figure of so many people killed per year not factoring in i mean gang related crime not factoring in uh, you know suicides which are a very big part of you know the united states uh, you know the gun to- gun death tolls you you might say so in australia at least has it made any uh, has there been any reduction at all based on the united from 96 well, the short answer is, is, is no. Is that the, the, there's no um, evidence of the regulations in '96 you know, reduced gun suicide rates. The firearm suicide rate was you know, broadly decreasing 
uh, from about three and a half per hundred thousand in the late 1970s, and uh, you know by 1996 the rate was about two per hundred thousand, and in the mid 2000s the rate had, had fallen below you know one per hundred thousand. So, you know, in other words, the downward trend in firearm suicide rate continued unabated after the 96 uh, um, changes. But, you know, you, you asked, well, what, what about suicide rates in general? Um, you know, there's no evidence that the 96 regulations and, and the government's I mean, a massive buyback of firearms had any effect on, on suicide. So you know, about mo- most of suicides, 80 to 90%, don't involve firearms. Do you have dull, blunt or badly sharpened knives that couldn't skin a cat? At Scary Sharp, we use a multi-step grinding system and will hand sharpen your blades to a precise edge. Our process of sharpening knives will have your blades splitting hairs for a surprisingly low cost. Not only do we sharpen knives, but we also sharpen scissors, clippers, garden tools, arrowheads, axes or anything that holds an edge. We are located close to Canberra and we also have a mail-in service. Visit Scary Sharp on Facebook or call Bob on 0410 432 852 and find out how we can meet your sharpening needs. Scary Sharp. If it cuts, we can sharpen it. More and more Australians are being locked out of the bush and the beach. Campers, four-wheel drivers, hunters, fishers and other groups are being excluded from public land or forced to suffer more locked gates. Senator David Lionhelm from the Liberal Democrats has spoken out strongly against these closures and fights for access for all. Visit ldp.org.au and vote one Liberal Democrats. Are you looking to buy a new or used firearm? Do you want to sell that safe queen to fund your next purchase? Then go to osgunsales.com. We have over 200 registered firearms dealers Australia-wide and thousands of shooters using the site daily. There are over 2,500 firearms listed, so you're certain to find exactly what you're looking for. We have over 50 years of firearms industry experience, including eight years online. So why wouldn't you advertise with us? The one and only genuine original Ozguns. I can't. I just can't see looking at the. I mean, looking just looking at it from a, a common sense point of view, that you know, reducing a certain type of firearm somehow would reduce, you know, reduce suicide. I, you know, I mean, I, know I think that was mentioned um, during. You know, your your ABC interview, I think, our, our very good friend, Samantha Lee. Well, she's not really my friend, but uh, Samantha Lee from the you know, uh, Gun Control Australia uh, was on there saying and talking, I think, about suicide as well um, and stuff like that and saying, well, you know, these things, you know, have helped, but I can't see how, you know, banning a certain, a certain action of firearm would reduce homicide. I mean, if people were going to kill themselves, Keston, wouldn't they just kill themselves with a firearm, any firearm, if they were going to do it? Well, you know, 80 to 90 percent of people who, who've killed themselves in the past haven't uh, haven't used firearms. You know, I'm not sure that it's a it's really a, a desirable way for people to kill themselves. Um, you know, so, and, you know, again, the, the, but but you know, you, you you know, you're right. I mean, if, if, if some people do um, want to uh, kill themselves, and that's very un- unfortunate. But um, you know, how they do it is. You know, there's no there's no evidence that restricting firearm access decreases either gun suicides or 
um, suicides overall. Uh, has the this is a very interesting one. I mean, I probably presume you know the you know John Howard said you know he wants to get these firearms off the street. We want to stop mass shootings. This is what we're hearing in the states. So I guess question eleven here has the restrictions. Because you'd, we would presume, you know, that if we got registration, which obviously I'm being a bit facetious here, but you know, re- having registration would stop firearms being you know, stolen, would stop firearms getting into the hands of criminals. Has the restrictions on the law-abiding citizens had any effect on criminals being able to get their hands on firearms? I mean, there, you, you know, the uh, Senate a committee hearing on, on, on uh, banning of semi-automatic handguns, they found that there's no evidence to show that you know, these, the, the, the firearms are being imported into the country. Um, so have criminals in any way, shape or form, oh, I know the answer to this anyway, but have had any trouble getting their hands on um, firearms, Keston? Well, the, the, new, the news media stories tend to suggest otherwise, don't, don't they? I'm, I'm, I'm certainly not aware of any uh, good evidence that the regulations have stopped, stopped criminals getting their hands on, on firearms. You know, to, to draw the you know, parallel with, with drugs and, 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 and uh, you know, other you know, criminal activities, it doesn't, it doesn't stop that, does it? I mean, criminals uh, find ways, you know, that these, well, not just these days, you know, people of mechanical engineering skills have always been able to, to build these things, but, you know, if you, if you can smuggle people into the country and you can smuggle drugs into the, uh, you know, the, the, the country more successfully than people these days, but um, you, you, you could smuggle firearms and um, the, the, the would-be mass murderer at the Lint, Lint Cafe you know, his firearm wasn't um, legal, was it? I mean, it wasn't registered. It wasn't. Um, like he had a pump-action uh, shotgun, which was banned in, you know, nineteen ninety-six. So where did he get? Yeah. Where did he get this type of firearm? How did he, how did he get that? And, and and you know, he didn't seem to me to be a you know a criminal mastermind or or, or anything. I mean, he he seemed you know quite deranged, didn't he? And and all over the place. So if someone who, who you know, at least on the face of it, seems you know, quite ineffectual, is able to get hold of an illegal firearm. Yeah, I mean, he, I mean, he wasn't um, the smartest guy. I mean, he did, you know, from all the counts of the, the media and police, I mean, he fell asleep on the first night and woke up when, you know, a quarter to half the people were trying to escape through the door. So, right. Well, um and you know, presumably, I mean, he was a guy that was was on on the list with the with the police and and, and security you know, people. He had a violent criminal history, and um, you know, he was making all kinds of terrorist type statements. So you know, the firearms regulations didn't stop him from getting hold of a hold of a gun uh, illegally. And um, you know, who who else is going to be you know more closely watched and, and, and monitored? I mean, do we need, do we all of us need to be more watched and monitored than uh, than he was or should have been? Um, didn't stop the the, the the Paris terrorists from arming themselves with illegal weapons? Well, I don't suppose they had firearms licences, did they? Even <laughs> well, they had fully um, automatic weapons, which were banned in France. So. You know, right. Kevlar, yeah. Kevlar, you know, uh, clothing, you know, they, they sort of, you know, which is kind of good for us, I guess. I mean, they sort of meant business, whereas, you know, uh, Man Monis in the Sydney Cafe, probably not the most educated guy out there. 
Um, otherwise, you know, people said, I've heard this question people say to me sometimes, and we spoke about this before, you know, well, if he had had one of these types of firearms, you know, that were banned in 96, you know, well, he could have shot more people. And I said, well, he did have that firearm. He did have that pump shotgun. He just, right. we yeah. were lucky. We were, there's no other, you know, we were lucky. If he wanted to go in there and unload that magazine on that pump shotgun and continually reload it and shoot as many people as possible, that's what he would have done. But thankfully, you know, he didn't do that. I think it was more of a, a stunt, but unfortunately still, you know, three people still lost their lives. And, you know, now the government, you know, doesn't want to give several, you know, hundred pages of the report, you know, doesn't want to give that as freedom of information. So I guess it's kind of interesting well, why the yeah. government doesn't want to give, you know, information about what happened that day. Like, you know, we the taxpayers have a right to see that information, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, it's kind of kind of interesting. You know, what are they what are they hiding from there? That's the question. You know, what what don't they want the general public to see? You know, that's you know, I've got my uh, opinions, but they're they're not they're not for this show at this stage. But you know, I think we're lucky, and you know, he had that firearm that was you know, where did he get that firearm? Where did he get that pump action? Yeah, which is apparently banned, and you know, then they're looking at restricting law-abiding firearms owners further based on a firearm that was already banned from the average, you know, user list of, you know, people like myself. Yeah. Um, I wanted to go on the next one, Kess, and this one's a good one, I think, because this was quite a large one. This is number 12. We, we know England um, had a complete... Well, they've actually got um, semi-automatic and pump shotguns, actually, but they had a complete handgun ban. Now, this is obviously quite a large... You know, the English people weren't very happy. Um, people are saying, well, it's made no difference whatsoever. You know, but... From your, I guess, research or what you know of, did removing handguns from general use of, you know, of English people, you know, did it reduce violent crime? Did it reduce, you know, violence of uh, crime with a firearm? And, and what's that data sort of telling us? Well, the, the, the UK government confiscated almost all legally legally held, and obviously they weren't you know, illegally held ones, no one was volunteering, um, in 97, 98, that cost the the taxpayers there in the in the UK a hundred million pounds, and uh, you know since then there seems to have been an increase in homicides with pistols. Okay, and 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 uh, interviews with firearms offenders found that most of them were using handguns. So why why is that? Well, you know perhaps it's because handguns are, are likely to be the most effective means of self-defence. In most situations, so if you're restricting handgun ownership and and um, and, and use the the ability of law-abiding people to defend themselves against violent, illegally armed criminals and terrorists, is is reduced. Very interesting. I know. Yeah, it's been a hot topic. I mean, I think there was a an article on one of the news outlets uh, from England over in the UK there and. You know, people saying, well, should be able, they be able to get their hands guns back? And I think, you know, on the poll, it was a, a sort of a resounding yes. I mean, you know, their Olympic, you know, c- yeah, competition shooters have to basically, for pistols, have to go to another country to, you know, partake in their yeah, chosen sport just to represent England. I mean, what a kick in the face that is, you know, <laughs> trying to represent yeah. their country to get yeah. them a, an Olympic gold medal or an Olympic medal of some description. And, you know, what a kick in the face. Yeah. Yeah, I want to talk about one more thing. Just to, and it's not on our list of questions here, but you know we'll talk about mass shootings in the states, and you know having these you know gun-free zones, and um, you know from, if you got any offhand, if if, you, if if not, it's fine. But you know we see you know Hillary Clinton and 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 especially her saying, well, we need to 
you know, we need you know more gun-free zones, or we need to get these you know, firearms out of gun-free zones. But you know, we know criminals don't really subscribe to not carrying a gun when there's a sign on a school saying "Don't bring a gun in here" because they're criminals. They're about to do something silly. So, I mean, what in saying that? What's the answer to that? What's the answer to that? People say, "Well, should we arm people?" Does you know, is there more of a chance of people being you know killed in these gun-free zones, which is what we've been seeing? Um, and and these gun-free zones being a target for criminals. I mean, yeah, copycats seeing themselves in the media. You know, I think the media has a lot to answer for in regards to that and televise and make these people into sort of, you know, somewhat celebrities of of this gun crime. And, you know, does it make sense well, that they, 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 would, they, they would, you know, they would use gun, yeah, use, yeah, take guns and commit mass atrocities in these places where they're not allowed to have firearms? Well, that's right. I mean, they're, they're a natural experiment, aren't they? I mean, you know, gun-free zones are, or, or, uh, and, and countries that ban, you know, guns. An island ban, banned, uh, uh, you know, guns or handguns, and you know, their, um, uh, you know, violent crime rate uh, increased after that. And um, you know, looking at where the mass shootings are in in, in the U.S. and you know elsewhere. Uh, they are in, in the gun-free zones. I mean, all of France is obviously a you know automatic weapon-free zone if you're a, a private law-abiding citizen. So you know anywhere, I suppose, or anywhere away from where the um, um, French police are likely to be. But in the US, uh, it's the it's it's the places that deliberately uh, you know ban firearms, and so the the the, the, the regulations about universities and schools. So. You know, it's well known that they're, 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 there's no one uh, law-abiding citizens going to have any firearms there to defend themselves. But also, um, you know, other private places um, decide to ban guns. So the the Colorado um, shooter Holmes, I think his name was. Yep, James Holmes, he, I think it might have been. Yeah. You know, so he was a, a, a you know, evidently mentally ill, or, you know, that's the plea, I understand, but he was, um, uh, you know, he killed a lot of people in a, in, a, in a cinema. Did he go to the closest cinema to him? No. Did he go to the biggest cinema that was in the area, you know, near, nearby? No. He went to the closest cinema that had signs posted up saying no guns. You know, so he wasn't. Um, he was making a rational calculation. He he w- wanted to, you know, go somewhere where he could keep on shooting for as long as possible. I don't know. Maybe he even thought he could, you know, g- g- um, uh, you know, survive and 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 and, and leave. But he, he knew that there wasn't going to be any law-abiding citizen there who could stop him. I just wonder why. Is there any particular reason? Do you think? I mean, that it. You know, I mean, is there any data surrounding that? That you know, why is it, you know, a breakdown in society in the States? Is it, um, you know, a very small amount, you know, in the grand scheme of things for these mass shootings? I mean, I think there was a, you know, an interview with them who he was fairly anti-gun, Pierce Morgan on CNN, and um, he was being taken to task by a guy called Ben Shapiro on, um, you know, these, you know, as you said, people like spaces like Chicago, you know, Washington, D.C., you know, having these, you know... Uh, 
basically gun-free zones and places where you can barely even own a gun or not have concealed carry permits having the highest gun crime and um, you know why Pierce Morgan in particular was concentrating on mass mass shootings which really was less than one percent according to again according to what I heard uh, on watching the video from Ben Shapiro uh, well so, and, and also they also they occur in gun-free zones mm. So it's why, do, why, why are they so interested in mass shootings compared to what about the gun shootings day-to-day that are, that, that are also becoming a problem? And, and why particularly America? I mean, do you have any... Is, it, is there an idea on why that's you know, particularly happening there? Is it a mental health? Is it a breakdown in mental health? Is it... You, know, you think not, you know, not available? Any medical services aren't freely available, say, as they are here in Australia and other countries, or...? Well, you know, we've... Um you know the U.S. rates, you know, aren't. You know, it's not like like it's the worst place in the world for that for these kind of bit of a myth for a for, for a starter. Um, you know, the mass the mass shooting. Um, um, I'm from the mass shooting side of things per per capita. There the are other countries that are ahead. You know, including France will be now presumably, and you know Norway and and so on, because so many people are, are being killed with relatively smaller. Population, so you know the U.S. data isn't isn't that um, far out. But as I say, there are um, you know differences between countries that that make comparisons you know difficult. Um, in the U.S., a lot of the, the you know the shootings more more broadly are, 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 are sort of into um, ethnic community uh, you know shootings. You know th- those kind of situations aren't. Necessarily the case elsewhere, but you know the key. The key point is that you know where law-abiding citizens are restricted from owning firearms, they aren't able to defend themselves, and violent crime rates are higher. So, gun restrictions, gun reg- regulations increase violent crime; they don't decrease it. And, and that's what the, the best evidence shows. And it's, it's a very strong and very important finding for, for public policy. Mm. I, was just, I was looking at that just a couple of days ago on the, you know, statistics sort of, you know, what's been happening over, you know, the last, you know, 100 years in the States. And from what I was reading, hopefully that information was legitimate, you know, yeah, firearms homicides been dropping steadily for the last 100 years. So, you know, again, I know... Well, you know, it's also... And, you know the homicide rates have been been dropping. Again, you got to you got to talk. Um, it, it's the total homicide rate that you that you should be interested in, you know, rather than how people are. Uh, True. Are killing I see where you're coming from. Yeah, it certainly and, makes sense. And, and, and uh, the, the the fire the the homicide rates in in um, in, in the US have um, been decreasing strongly. You know, after the states started to observe the, the you know the second amendment and, and to you know reintroduce the rights to carry concealed um, firearms and so on because um you know the period of of, of really um uh, you know heavy violent crime in, in, in the US was when restrictions on firearms were were greatest <laughs> well wow. i know it's certainly very interesting i mean we have you know countries like uh, mexico who you know, I mean, people say, well, it's a third world country. So, you know, similarly, probably, they're probably not happy with that statement. But, you know, very little private gun ownership, Keston, in uh, Mexico, yet they have, you know, roughly 30,000 deaths per year. So, you know, again, just mm. looking at other countries and, 
you know, I mean, but they say, well, you know, America's a, you know, a westernised country and we should, you know, it's more civilised. And I thought, well, you know, we, I guess Australia too isn't, isn't borderline by, you know, Mexico at the bottom, obviously Canada at the top, you know, the issues, people coming over the border, et cetera, you know, the, the African-American gangs, you know, we just, we just really don't seem to have, well, well, we have our own issues, but we just don't seem to have that sort of, you know, that, well, that cultural how about, how about How about comparing us with, with, with New Hampshire? In the U.S., where they've just had the uh, you know the, the the primary now you know the 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 New Hampshire stand out to you as a place you've heard about a lot of uh, you know gun crime and, and, no, and no. murders and mass murders. Well, I, went, I went through there one time, New Hampshire. Seemed the, quite nice. <laughs> right. Well, you know, it's a leafy New England, uh, you know, place, and yep. uh, you know, pr- pr- prosperous and and all the rest of it. Well, they don't have any gun laws or, or, or almost none. You know, so there's, there, there aren't any restrictions, regulations on 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 gun ownership there to speak of. Right. You know, so if you're if you're if you're a resident, I don't know whether they you know even ask for citizenship you know evidence. You you're entitled to buy a firearm. You mm. use them and carry them. You know within the in the law. Mm. I mean, I, I've been quite throughout there quite the U.S. I've been there. Geez, about five times over the last fifteen years. I'm 34 now, so. You know, I've been up through yeah, same thing. New Hampshire, Vermont, Maine. I've been. I think I've seen more of America, Keston, than I've than I've seen of Australia. But you know, I never once felt you know like in trouble or you know like people were going to you know get out of their cars and 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 shoot people. Which I think you know people think here, well, oh, people were carrying guns for for self defence. That people are just going to start shooting each other. I mean, I just don't think that would happen. You know, or if people were allowed to carry pepper spray or tasers. People are just going to be, you know, tasering everyone throughout the day, for, you know, for fun. Or, I mean, I just don't think it's realistic. I mean, the law abiding, as you know, don't do those. And the, you know, the evidence shows that that you know, they follow the law. They wouldn't do things like that. I mean, you know, if you if you someone well, can't control uh, themselves and wants to shoot someone from a traffic incident, well, you know, perhaps they should be you know, seeking mental health care anyway. As as um, as, as uh, you know, John Lott's shown with his uh, research that um, licensed gun owners, you know, law uh, law-abiding, you know, gun owners um, are you know the most well <laughs> people who own guns legally are the most law-abiding you know the group in, in, in society. They're more um, more law-abiding even than, than policemen in, in the U.S. Uh, they're very fastidious at following the law, so um, yeah, you know what you say is right, and and we do um, from elsewhere in the world, I think, have a rather distorted um, view of of you know what day to day life is is like in the U.S. Very yeah. interesting. Anything uh, to finish off, Keston, you'd like to, to mention from any, any other statistics or anything you think's worth warranting before we wrap it up on today's podcast? Anything you want to add? Uh, well, look, I'd, I'd suggest that you know, for those of you who are you know, interested in, in uh, statistics and uh, you know, evidence on regulations and uh, you know, gun crime, uh, you know, have a look at the Crime Prevention Research Centre site, um, crimeresearch.org. Let me just make sure I've got that, that right because I just remember <laughs> the, it. The people yeah, can crime punch re- yeah. Crimeresearch.org. Yeah. And you can type in Crime oh, Prevention Research Centre. Uh, That'll work that, as well. Yeah, that's that's, that's to right. The show and they and, can um, jump on there and get all that data. But I know I do appreciate you, uh, Keston, coming on. I know when I heard you on the you know, ABC... 
uh, radio with Samantha Lynn. There was another guy on there too. I don't remember his name, but I will get that when I because I do have the, the the audio of that as well. And you know, it seems you only the only one there interested in sort of you know common sense and 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 what the actual data shows. And from our conversations, I guess today uh, it shows that you know a, a whole lot of money, a whole lot of heartache, a whole lot of you know government paying the government officials to draft up regulations that really. You know, have made no difference. Have made no difference. And, a, and an awful lot of administrative costs Cost, yeah. uh, for you know for the for the for the state governments and and uh, and so on, and uh, considerable you know cost to law-abiding gun owners, as you know. Very good. Dr. Keston Green joins us here on the Australian Hunting Podcast to talk about regulations. Uh, Dr. Green, thanks. I really appreciate your time today and being able to join me. Thanks very much. Thank you, Jason. It was a, was a pleasure, and uh, yeah, thank you for giving me the opportunity. You've just been educated, and this is the Australian Hunting Podcast. Thanks for listening. See you next time.